0: Welcome to the Park City Podcast, a podcast created by Park City Church to discuss who God is and how he is at work in our lives. I'm your host, David Morelli. Welcome back to the Park City Podcast. Again, my name is David Morelli, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, Phil Schamber. Phil, we are into the final four now of the March Madness Tournament, and as you know, we. We talked about last week. Lots of uh, extra chaos and things this past weekend. How's your bracket doing now that we're at the Final Four? Uh,
1: embarrassingly bad. I don't have <laughs> one team in the Final Four. I mean, statistically, that's improbable. Um, you know, almost <laughs> throwing a you know darts at a a bracket would have probably given me at least one team in the in the Final Four. But yeah, it's just the way it's been this year.
0: Right, and it's it's strange too because the teams aren't just really no one knew what was going to happen. I mean, UNC making it as a as an eight seed, you know, that's rare that in an eight seed will make it that far. But obviously, historically, a very good program, Duke. You know, no one's really surprised. Kansas, a one seed. You know, Villanova, great uh, a great team as well. So, but it's just yeah, it's been one of those one of those years where you just kind of never know what's going to happen. I did actually pick Villanova and Kansas. Uh, and so I am pulling for, for Villanova because if Villanova wins, I'll win my bracket over my sister. Uh, if Kansas wins, Julia wins. So out of, you know, the 60-some games in the tournament, it all comes down to one game to determine who wins. <laughs> so go Nova. Uh, you know, I had them losing to Gonzaga in the, in the final. Um, which, so, you know, shows you how much I know cause Gonzaga got creamed on, uh, whatever Thursday or whatever that was. Um, so if Nova wins, I get, uh, a free lunch. So something, something's still the root for.
1: Well, and family pride. That's always big too.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Right. As we, you know, we'll talk about humility and other things, but this can wait because it's March madness and that is, you know, that's okay. That's good pride, right?
1: Well, yeah, that's self-esteem and, and all that. Yeah.
0: Oh uh, well, uh, you know, to not make this be a uh, pseudo March Madness podcast, uh, we'll we'll get into our discussion uh, material. So last week, we were looking at Matthew chapter six, finishing up that chapter, and we were looking at how our priority really ought to be the kingdom and its priorities, and then. In the devotional discussion, we talked about how the image of God within us has been distorted by sin. Now, this week, Corey preached on Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12, and taught on relational wisdom. Now, in this passage, Jesus points out that the human tendency is to judge and condemn others rather than be tender and empathetic. And he points out, you know, why that's a problem. So, Phil, as you were listening on Sunday, what stood out to you?
1: Well I think just the importance of recognizing our own sinfulness, you know, if we're not willing to admit how much uh, sin is actually in our life, we won't see our need for God's grace and we'll inevitably end up adopting a critical attitude towards others because we think we're better than them. Uh, But when we recognize our own sinfulness, we recognize just how much we need uh, God to extend his mercy, which in turn makes it easier for us to be willing to extend mercy to others. And which protects us from a critical attitude.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I appreciate it and was it was challenged by the note that Corey brought up from um, C.S. Lewis of how, you know, we have the tendency to be charitable to ourselves and, you know, to condemn others, to not be that gracious towards others. Um, and you know, you just see how true that is in our own lives, right? Your own struggles with sin and and, and whatever that might look like, we easily excuse it. We justify it. Um, but then if it's you know someone else that we find out, oh, they you know, they struggle with that as well. It's well, I don't know, that's a big deal, you know, and and we we just can't uh, we can't see our own sin for what it is, like you like you're saying to recognize the depth of our own brokenness and then actually be empathetic to others. we, we play the comparison game, we play the you know, protect our own image kind of game and, and, and like you said, that just leads to, becoming critical and judgmental.
1: Right. And, you know, I think when it comes to things that we do that we know are wrong, we minimize them typically by, you know, making up excuses, you know, well, you know, it's not really all that bad because of X, Y, or Z. Um, but with other people, you know, we just sort of judge them on the raw action and say how horrible it is. And you know, we can't even imagine how there could be any justification for that. And what's amazing is sometimes we could have done the exact same thing five minutes before, and that's just how um, how hard this is for us. We just, it's easy for us to go to a critical attitude towards other people.
0: Right, right. I liked the note that Corey brought up of how when we take that approach too, we actually aren't approachable, right? If we want to then help people through a struggle with sin, um, whether that's a friend or, you know, someone who, you know, isn't a Christian and we're, we're trying to witness and, and, you know, show them, uh, God's desire for their life, right? We actually aren't safe. We aren't approachable and, you know, it's only when we recognize our own brokenness and readily admit that, that we become those kinds of people, We become the people who people feel they can trust us, right? Um they can, they can open up about their own struggles, their own brokenness, and we're not going to judge them, condemn them for that, but rather we're going to understand. And I think, you know, again, that's so difficult for us to do as, as you're mentioning that we just, even, even if we know deep down that we struggle with that same thing, we just, we want to protect our self-image. And it's, it's much easier for us to, to distance ourselves from that rather than you know, readily admit it and own that, Um, but I think that's a freedom that, you know, there's freedom in admitting that, you know, because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, where we can, you know, own our sin and and recognize just how broken we are, um, but rejoice in the fact that Christ paid that penalty for us, and that his grace is sufficient for us, and um, that's not to make light of sin, of course, or to take advantage of God's grace, but to to recognize exactly what has happened um via Christ's life, death, resurrection, you know, that we can rejoice in the fact that that grace is sufficient. Um, and then again, it's it's we don't we can't just stop there, but the attitude, you know, as we've talked about throughout this, you know, Sermon on the Mount series, right? The attitudes within the inner thoughts and uh, and and not just outward actions. All the inner motivations have to change. The, uh, the attitudes that say, okay, I can recognize externally that, you know, God's grace is sufficient, that Christ died for all. But then practically when we get down to it, right, we start to say, well, I'm not really that crazy about this person in my life. And hey, I know that they're pretty broken, so ah, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, God's grace isn't really sufficient for that. And, you know, we start to justify and play that game.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that's what, in one sense, makes it so, um, I guess, foolish for us to, to take that approach. Because just as you said, we, we wouldn't put it in just those words, but it is as if we're saying God's g- grace is sufficient for me, but for uh, John over there, no, I mean, um, he's he's just beyond the pale, and, um, and and we just know that that's that's not the case. And um, if God's grace is sufficient for all of us, you know we need to be willing to extend that as well. Um, we, we certainly um, have no basis for being more condemning than God is.
0: absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that amazes me about Jesus's heart and how we see him interact with people throughout, you know, the gospel accounts, you know, we're sinful and broken and we have no right to judge others. And yet that's what we want to do as, you know, as we're talking about. And Christ is completely without sin. He has every right to judge brokenness and sin because he is God. And one day he will, right? One day all of us will give an account uh, for our lives, but throughout the gospel accounts, throughout Christ's ministry, we don't really get that picture of him. Instead, what we get is, you know, him moving towards people, right? Him being very tender and gentle. You know, those are words that we've used a lot. Um, obviously, he he calls us to be people of tenderness, of gentleness, of meekness, Um you know, I think of the account of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, right? In that story, there's the crowd around her with the stones ready to stone her for what she's done. And, you know, Jesus gives the line, right? He who is without sin, you know, can cast the first stone. And now in that story, right? We're the crowd, right? We're the people with our stones ready to be thrown. Uh, and, you know, Jesus is rebuking them saying, you're you're missing the point, right? You're, um, you're you're being judgmental. You're, you're acting as though your sin doesn't matter. You have no brokenness of your own, and that's exactly what we do. But what we also see in that account is how he moves towards the woman, right? Um, and he doesn't excuse her sin. He, he instructs, her, instructs her to go and sin no more. Um, but there's a, a tenderness to the way that he does that, that his heart is moved by her brokenness. I mean, he wants to move towards her. Um, and so we have so much, you know to learn from Jesus's posture, you know in that story, and obviously in many others.
1: right. I mean, you know we don't we don't want to admit that, as you said, you know, we're the crowd in that story. You know, we'd rather think of ourselves more in Jesus' position, but but at the same time, we refuse <laughs> to do what he what he does because we won't we won't adopt the same attitude. And you know, one of the things that I think, makes it difficult is as as you pointed out jesus doesn't minimize her sin he doesn't minimize anyone's sin um he acknowledges it for what it is but it doesn't end there and i think we just have a lot of trouble uh, kind of keeping those two things in tension seeing sin for what it is but still extending mercy Um, we tend to err in one or the other direction. Um, Often, if we have a critical heart, you know, we feel confident that we're just you know, calling sin what it is, you know, standing up for what is right, Um, and it's just, it's really hard for us to bring that mercy in, and we just, we have difficulty holding two truths together at the same time, And, and unfortunately, I think that also makes it easier for us to excuse our critical uh, attitude, because, you know, we just think, you know, we're we're pointing out sin um, in order to uphold
0: truth. I think you're absolutely right. And I think part of, I think that's kind of the reason that I think those outside the church, those who aren't believers, often have their perception that Christians are just judgmental. Um, and I think some of that is because we have different views, you know, than the majority of society might have about, you know, a variety of topics. And we might be seen as, you know, judgmental for some of that. But I think a lot of that, I think I, I would probably argue that most of that perception is out of not just beliefs, but how Christians have treated people. Um, you know, that those people have known Christians in their lives and experienced them and, as judgmental and critical and hypocritical a lot of the times. Right. And like, that's, you know, why this is important for us to reflect on is that's a serious issue. Um, and not that, you know, not that we're living, you know, for the approval of others, but if, if others are experiencing us in such a way that they feel judged, condemned, how are we, you know, how really how accurate is our witness of the gospel? Um, really, how accurately are we are we reflecting the image of of God, the heart of Christ? Um, and, and that's exactly why this is such an important topic and I think you know all of us need to take that inward look as we've talked about you know on this podcast many times that all right, where am I prone to judgment? Where am I prone to be critical of others and to overlook you know the plank in in my own eyes, as Corey talked about on Sunday.
1: Right. On one hand, we're talking about relational wisdom and we can do damage to relationships with a critical attitude. But as you're pointing out, there's even more at stake when we think of it in terms of uh, spreading the gospel. Um, If our critical attitude stands in the way of somebody seeing and understanding the truth of the gospel, um, you know, that's a pretty serious thing. And again, we don't necessarily think of it this way, and hopefully we it's not what we would want, but when we condemn others without acknowledging our own sin and in the ways that we fall short, we're undermining the gospel because we're indirectly suggesting that at least part of the gospel isn't true. Either we're saying that I don't really need God's grace because... I'm sufficient in myself, which again is not what the gospel says. Or we're saying that the other person needs to clean up their act before they're worthy of the gospel, which again is not what the gospel says. In fact, if that, if that's what, it, if that's what we're saying, it's impossible because none of us can clean up our act on our own without coming to God first. So we we don't always think of it that way, but you know we undermine the gospel because we're suggesting that um, what we're saying in one breath isn't true in the next by our by our actions and attitudes
0: absolutely right i i think that was well said in those two you know kind of pitfalls that we can fall into because those are those are incredibly serious things right to to misrepresent the gospel in either of those directions is something that we should be incredibly concerned about you know, if we're doing that in our lives. And, you know, like we said before, I think we often don't want to put it into those words, but I think we live as though, right, Christ's death was sufficient for some and not for others. And that's not, I mean, one, that's just not true. But then, two, you know, as Jesus is pointing out, that's not our place. Um, you know, that quote that Corey mentioned from John Stott that, you know, we, what we're doing when we do that is we're trying to play God. And anytime we're doing that, we are erring. <laughs> beyond what we know you know so there's the severity there and you know it also it, it really shows how this is a gospel issue because we need to be very 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 careful not to cheapen the gospel in any way to pretend as though uh you know what christ did wasn't sufficient for all um that's the good news of the gospel as you're saying is that we can't clean up our act and come to god uh based on our own merit and our own good works. But only through Christ's substitutionary death on our behalf are we made right. And that death is for all that all would, you know, be able to believe and 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 place their faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior and and find salvation. Um if we're misrepresenting the gospel in that way, you know, that's something that you know we need to be incredibly concerned about. Um because that's not at all how the Lord, you know, is calling us to live again, as we've reflected on the call to superior righteousness throughout this discussion, uh, over the last uh, handful of weeks, you know, it, it were to be people who are meek and gentle people who love their neighbor as themselves, people who are compassionate, right? Those are the things that preach the gospel to the world. Um, when we're judgmental and when we condemn others, we're, misrep- we're misrepresenting the gospel. We're misrepresenting Christ, uh, and that's that's an incredibly serious thing.
1: Yeah, and because we're we're talking about the gospel, I mean, it is worth noting that sin is is part of that. I mean, calling sin for what it is, um, and noting what we deserve as the result of our sin, is a big part of the gospel message, because. It's only by recognizing our sinfulness, and recognizing that God rightfully judges sin, um, that we throw ourselves on His His mercy and turn to turn to Him. Um, so that that's an important aspect of the gospel message as well. And so I don't want anybody to to think that we're not um, recognizing that and not upholding that. But I think. It's it's important to, as we we're saying, hold the other truth intention that um, we can point out sin at the same time that we let the world know that we fully understand our own sinfulness, and let them know that that's why we <laughs> ex- accept God's grace because we know we need it, and uh, not just in terms of that initial moment of coming to faith, but we need His grace daily. Uh, to live up to his calling. So, I mean, we can, we can hold both those truths together. Um, we're not suggesting that we don't point out sin or, or, or note how our society falls short. But again, it's this attitude that recognizes our own unworthiness. And as, as we pointed out, we can do a lot of damage when, when we're unwilling to, um, to project that kind of attitude.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, that then ties into what Corey was talking about of, you know, uh, adopting the attitude that like Paul, we are the chief of sinners that, you know, we, we take a, a very accurate, you know, picture of just how broken we are. So, and, and then, like you said, we can, we can hold those two truths, intention and and look to accurately reflect the truth of the gospel and the truth of the heart of Christ, you know, in, in the way that we live. But my question is what does it look like to actually see ourselves as the chief of sinners? How do we do that?
1: Well, I think it, it requires uh, being honest with ourselves. Um, you know, we all have blind spots and areas, you know, where we just probably don't realize, you know, the the sin that's you know behind some of our actions or thoughts um, but having said that I think most of us understand ourselves well enough to know that sin is pretty well entrenched within us um, and I think that's why we've reacted the way that we have to the Sermon on the Mount I mean we know how high God's standard is and you know if if we have even a bit of self-awareness. We know that our uh, inner attitudes don't don't measure up. Um, and, and so I mean, I think we just have to admit that and, and be willing to acknowledge the truth of the matter rather than trying to, to save face uh, and make excuses. You know, because the reality is, I mean, we don't want to admit that to ourselves, but I think it begins with, you know, just being honest and saying, hey, I can try to fool myself, but the reality is, sin has a pretty deep hold on me. And um, I think when we take that attitude and and we're willing to to be honest in that way, I mean, I think we will inevitably uh, have an attitude that's very similar to to Paul's there. And um, but I think to help us do that, it it goes back to. a a deep understanding of God's grace. You know, when we uh, realize um, that God sees our sin with perfect clarity and yet is willing to offer forgiveness, I I think that frees us. It allows us to let go of our attempt to keep up that false image of ourselves because we know he's willing to accept us. So I, I, I think it begins with those two things Uh, understanding the gospel and allowing that to cause us to be willing to sort of face the facts.
0: Absolutely, and I think, you know, doing that with the Lord as well, not just, you know, being honest with ourselves, but I think being honest before the Lord. Like you said, he, of course, knows the depth of our brokenness better than we do. Um, But I think we often don't actually spend time confessing sin, you know, before the Lord. And, you know, I think a lot of that is, you know, one, it, it can feel uncomfortable, but then two, it's that we even want to uphold a certain image before the Lord, right? Even though we know in the back of our minds that he, he knows our sin and he knows our brokenness, yet we, we still shy away from actually sharing that with him. Um, but I think that's a helpful step because, like you said, it, it frees us. We recognize uh, that we can receive the Lord's forgiveness and his grace because of Christ. Um, and you know again it's it's an opportunity to preach to ourselves the gospel and to remind ourselves that we are not slaves to sin that we we do not need to be caught in uh, in shame of our sin I mean we can grieve our sin and have a healthy uh, concern over it but our we, we, you know our identity is no longer sinners it is children of god and you know being able to preach that to ourselves over and over again you know develops a heart that like you said understands the gospel, uh, for what it is. Um, and I think, you know, not just confessing sin, you know, to, to the Lord, but also with others, with other believers in your life. I think having, uh, people who you can be completely honest and open with, you know, spouses are great examples of that, but of course, close friends, um, people who you can share your struggles and ask for accountability, ask for prayer, ask for, you know, assistance, uh, in fighting sin. Um, you know, I think again, then we get this other element of not just preaching the gospel to ourselves, but preaching it to others and, and, and deepening our empathy of others' experiences. Right. And, and, and steering away from that, Hey, you know, a friend shares a sin struggle with me. I steer away from this, you know, judgment of that and instead have compassion and empathy for a brother experiencing, you know, the consequences of sin. Um, and, you know, together then we work towards, okay, how do we fight sin? How do we flee from sin in our lives uh, that we might be more faithful to the Lord? Uh, but again, I think that practice then helps us to, to see, like you were saying, to see our sin for what it is, to see our brokenness, you know, and the depths of it. Um, but then to rejoice in the free gift of God's grace um, and to, to, to grab hold of that every single day because again we need it every single day
1: right and i think all those things um, help us to see our daily need for for god's grace not just in the in terms of forgiveness for our sin because and, and we do need that but also that help in terms of growing spiritually so that we um uphold the virtues that jesus has been teaching um in the Sermon on the Mount, um, in fact, uh, D. A. Carson in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount um, points out that, that that at least in part is why Jesus here in chapter seven puts um, that call uh, to to ask um, and 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 to seek and 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 implies that you know God is going to answer that. Um, you know, he says that, you know, in context, you know, after having listed all these, the, the, these standards that we know that we don't live up to, um, instead of despair, what that ought to do is throw us onto God's mercy and ask him for help. So the asking here is, at least in part, asking God to instill the virtues that he's, Jesus has just been teaching, um, to instill that within us because we know that, that we can't do it ourselves and that we need him, and uh, Jesus is saying, and and because God is our Father, he will be faithful and respond to that. So I think, you know, all of these things that we've been talking about um, shouldn't just cause us to despair or to only seek God's forgiveness. It should also drive us to, to turn to God and say, Lord, please, I I know I fall short, but I also know that you're faithful and that you can work within me so that, um, you know, I can, you know, slowly uh, become the, the person who can, that is poor in spirit, you know, that loves his enemies. I'm not that now, but with your help, I'll become more like that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That was well said. Well... Let's uh, pause the discussion on the sermon there and jump over to the devotional, where this week we are beginning a new topic, and that's Jesus. Uh, This this week we are looking at how Jesus is fully human. So what is the significance of Jesus' humanity?
1: Well, it's central to many aspects of our faith. It it, um, explains, for example, how Jesus' righteousness is able to be credited to our accounts and how his death paid the penalty for our sin, Um, but it also explains why Jesus is the model, uh, for how we are to live our lives. You know, last week we talked about how the image of God has been distorted within us, but in Jesus humanity, we, we see clearly what, uh, the image of God looks like. And, and for that reason, he is the model for our own lives.
0: Yeah, this is a doctrine that I, I think I care especially about, and and it surprises me that kind of, as you note throughout church history, there have been Christians who, you know, have doubted this. Um, you know, that you give the example that, you know, Oh, it just, Jesus just appeared to be human that he wasn't really. Um, but again, there, there's so many implications to that. And like you said, I think most importantly, what he did on the cross and, and paying the penalty for us, right. That it was necessary for him to be human. Um, I read an article this past week just in preparation for this um, by a guy by the name of Michael Kruger on the Gospel Coalition. And in it he has this quote that says, if he, meaning Jesus, cannot represent us, then he cannot redeem us, right? It was necessary that Jesus was human in order that he might be our perfect representation. Um, That, you know, just as Adam was our representative, but a fallen one, as we talked about last week, Jesus was the perfect representative. And that because he was able to live, a perfect life and then die the perfect death right just as you are saying we are able to receive his righteousness um, but again it's crucial that that he you know it, it's incredibly important that he was human uh, it was necessary that he was human in order for that to be true
1: right it, you know it, we talked last week you know about how important it is to to understand Paul's uh, in, in Romans 5 the parallel between Adam And Jesus Um, and that parallel holds because you know Jesus is one of us Um, so you know Adam was the head of you know of the old creation you know Jesus is our representative you know at at, in the new creation that you know it the the parallel but you know if, if Jesus you know were an angel instead, then he, you know, he would have come to save angels, and he would have been their representative, uh, and the, and then, but that's not what he did. He he came to save us, and therefore had to come take on our humanity, so that again he could he could represent us, and so that his perfect life gets credited to our accounts, and that when he pays the penalty for sin on the cross, again he's paying the penalty for our sin, but. He needs to be human for all that to um, make sense.
0: Exactly. Additionally, I think something else that ought to encourage us about Jesus' humanity is something we've talked about before on the podcast, uh, Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, right? That we can be encouraged that Christ is human because he's, ex- he's experienced the things that we are experiencing and the things that we will experience. And so we can take comfort in knowing that we are not alone, right? God isn't some distant, you know, being far removed from the human experience. He knows it intimately. Uh, and he, you know, he walks with us through it. And so, you know, this is massively significant because it's it's something that can encourage us in our walks uh, as Christians through whatever we go through, right? You know, Jesus was well acquainted with grief and sorrow. He knew temptation, the temptation to sin, even better than we do because he actually didn't fall into that temptation, right? To the further degree, Um, you know, he knew deep relationship and friendship. He knew joy and exuberance. And so we can and, and should take great comfort from the fact that our Savior is like us in that respect.
1: Yeah, uh, and we know that as he sees us um, str- struggling ag- against sin, or just you know dealing with um, the you know ordinary troubles that this this world has, again he he has compassion for us, and he he wants to help us because again he uh, intimately you know, understands. Um, But it's also all those things that allow him, again, to to be a model because um, if he never went through temptation or never suffered, um, you know, what could we look to him as an example for? Um, If if his experience was completely different than our own, um, he could perhaps tell us what to do, but we couldn't see the example in his own life, but because he went through all these things, because he, you know, went through all the emotions that we we do, because he dealt with hunger, because, again, he knows what it is to have joy, to have, joy, uh, to have friendships, um, we can look and examine his life and, um, again, follow the pattern that he set for us.
0: Yeah, I thought that reading... You know, this week where you talked about how Christ relied on the Holy Spirit all all the time throughout His life, uh, and that that is good news because again, it it shows us, you know, He shows us what that ought to look like in our lives. Because, like you said, of course, He could have instructed us on, you know, okay, here's steps one to three on how to do that, and then you know, okay, you're off, go do it. But to see Him, you know, resist temptation you know, in the power of the Holy spirit to see him rely on the father to submit to the father's will, you know, for his life. It, it paints us, it, it, you know, as we've said, the, the perfect picture, the perfect example of what our lives ought to look like. Um, and so that is very much good news for us and something that ought to be encouraging as we see, you know, his heart displayed for us, as we see his character displayed for us. Uh, but then just even what it means to, to follow God, uh, and to be obedient and, uh, and submissive to him. And that's kind of the direction that I want to take the discussion now is two, two questions of, you know, what do we learn about relating to God? And then, you know, in a minute, what do we learn about relating to others? So we'll start first with what do we learn about relating to God through studying Christ's life?
1: Well, I, you know, I think there are many lessons, um, you know, that, that we could take away a couple a couple things come to mind one is the the importance of prayer um you know we we regularly see jesus withdrawing to spend time you know talking with his father and you know if he needed to do that you know how much more you know do we need it um i i think another lesson you know i kind of touched on this a moment ago but would be the role of suffering uh in our life and it's implications for our relationship with God Um, you know for some of us it can be tempting to see suffering as a sign um, of our distance from God Um, but we know that that's not the case because Jesus God's own son suffered Um, in this fallen world suffering is you know a reality in the Christian life but it's not necessarily a sign of God's disapproval or distance from us you know if we allow it suffering can be something that draws us closer to God and strengthens our faith as we rely on him in the midst of our suffering and Jesus is a model for what that looks like.
0: Absolutely. I I think the way that he models spending time with his father, I think is, is one of the most challenging and convicting things for me, because I think it's easy for me to just forget to do that, right? To, to live my life and rely on my own strength and rely on my own intelligence and wisdom and, and, it, you know, in many ways compartmentalize my life to where certain aspects, you know, are are I share with God, but then other things are just me. And to know that, you know, as we'll talk about next week, right, Christ is both fully human and fully God. Um, and as it talks about, you know, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, that though he was God, he didn't use that to his advantage. Um, and so, you know, surely he could have taken... Taken strength from his deity, and you know, not needed to go and spend time with his father. But as we we learn, he he lived within the constraints of his humanity, uh, and gave those things up, out of a love, out of a concern for us, knowing exactly what he was on the earth to do, um, and and to model that for us. And so, so it should be with us, right? We ought to accept those limits um, with how the Lord has created us. Accept the fact that we need rest, rest and sleep and food and, um, and take joy and satisfaction in, you know, g- getting to experience those good gifts, right? Sleep is a good gift. Um, you know, last night I had one of those nights where I just, I couldn't fall asleep and, you know, I knew I was going to wake up then this morning and go, man, I just, I'm like in a bad mood. I'm annoyed that I didn't sleep well. And all I'm doing is looking forward to, you know, letting my head hit the pillow tonight and it's like man sleep is a good gift rest is a good gift and i think learning to you know live within those limits uh is a healthy thing we see christ model that so well you know even in how he spends time with the father of you know adoring him worshiping him um you know again is a model for us of you know, as we've talked about before, we often just run to the Lord with our requests and here's what we want, what we want done or what we want fixed or the situation we want changed. And, you know, in Christ, we see him or, you know, in Christ's life, we see him, you know, praise the father for who he is, um, and to, to find his ultimate joy and satisfaction and identity in being a child of God.
1: Yeah. And I think that's sort of the key, uh, Jesus understands the relational aspect with God the Father. I mean, you know, Father is, you know, an intentional term that the Bible uses uh, most perfectly in Jesus' case, uh, but we're also God's children as, as believers. And um, it's only when we think about that in relational terms are going to God in prayer That I think we can follow Christ's example. Again, we often turn it in into ticking through, um, you know, our requests. And um, uh, but for Jesus, it's it's more than that. It's it's intimate. He's he's talking to his father. He's going, um, you know, he's asking things of his father. But he's demonstrating ultimately his trust in, in the father's plan. Um, but he's, he's also sharing, you know, what's, what's on his heart. And, um, you know, I, I I think that's why it's such a powerful example. Um, he's not afraid to do that. We see him in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, where he just, he's just pouring out how he feels to the father. Um, he's committed to doing the father's will there, but that doesn't stop him uh, he's not a robot that doesn't stop him from you know um admitting that you know there's a you know if the father's will could be accomplished in some other way that would be easier he's committed to doing that but again he's sharing his heart um all that all that to say that you know prayer is is very intimate and relational for jesus
0: absolutely well as i mentioned then what uh, you know, the, the flip side of that or kind of the, another you know perspective then, what do we learn about relating to others through studying Jesus' life?
1: Well, I, I want to go back to, um, you know, what we said about relying on the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I always think of it this way in terms of how he relates to other people, but, you know, if... Jesus needed the Holy in His humanity. He needed to rely on the Holy Spirit as He, you know, went about His life and and resisting temptation. Uh, there had to be an aspect in which that applied to His relationships as well. And so I think um, it's it's important for us to recognize that for us to live up to God's standards, we're going to need um, the Holy Spirit to 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 do that, um, and i think the reason for that is just god's expectation for us is to have a sacrificial attitude a willingness um you know to put others first and on our own that's just not something that we're willing to do but um, but that's exactly what jesus did all the time Uh, just even coming to earth to be human he was willing to sacrifice himself and set aside his own self, you know, interest uh, because we needed him to come here. And, you know, that that becomes the model for us, that that sacrificial attitude that's willing to put other people first.
0: Right. In the same way that, you know, if you take the two greatest commands to love the Lord your God with, you know, all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus embodies both of those perfectly we just discussed the you know love the lord your god and and the relationship that he has with his heavenly father uh, and how he lived that out here on earth um but in the same way right to to love your neighbor as yourself i mean that's exactly what he did perfectly and as you know we were discussing that he sets that example for us that you know we are to see as it you know as we touched on philippians excuse me philippians 2 that you know to see others needs is greater than our own to live sacrificially. And of course, as you mentioned, we see that most clearly through his sacrificial death on the cross. But, you know, more than that, we see it in his compassion and his mercy and his tenderness and his gentleness. And, you know, that's to be our example. And that, of course, you know, ties into what we were talking about in the sermon discussion of, okay, we get, we get the instructions on, you know, how we are to be more tender and more empathetic rather than judgmental because we see Christ actually live that out, right? And, and as you said, I think that note on relying on the, the, the Holy Spirit and on the Lord's strength, um, asking him for, for, you know, patience, for, uh, for tenderness, you know, in those moments, I think, is, is absolutely key. But again, we see Christ be that perfect example.
1: Exactly. And uh, he's, he's our perfect example on all aspects um, you know, but we see it come come through time and time again in the Gospels in terms of relating to other people. Um, he is just able to perfectly reflect that when the situation calls for it, he's he's willing to point out sin, as, as, we, as we noted earlier, but he's also willing to, um, you know, tenderly uh, come and—, and um, Meet them where they are. He's willing to um, wash his disciples' feet. Uh, he's willing to have compassion on uh, the crowds when he knows and that many of them, you know, probably don't genuinely have faith in him. But he's still moved to compassion to feed them um, and and to, and to heal um, you know those who are sick. I mean, he he's he. In a remarkable way, when you think about it, given who he is, is willing to put other people first, and um, you know, and if he's willing to do that, given that um, he is God the Son, you know, how much more should we be willing to to put other people first?
0: Absolutely, right? How great a Savior we we really have. Well, let's uh, pause the discussion here. As always, Phil, thank you so much for all of your thoughts and wisdom. Before we close, if you have any questions about the topics that we are discussing, you can send them to my email, davidmorelli at parkcitychurch.net, and we will attempt to answer them. Next week, our sermon text will be Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 20. And then in the devotional, we will be talking about how Jesus is fully God. So please join us next week for that discussion. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Park City Podcast. We hope this resource helps you to see and savor God's goodness, beauty, and grace in your life. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.parkcitychurch.net. Once again, thanks for listening.